This is Esther, your father's friend. So you helped me move, that's it? You couldn't call? See if maybe I don't like the new place? See if maybe there's some painting to be done? Welcome, everyone, to 200 a Day, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I am Epidiah Ravishaw's ling- lingering cough. We are both getting over colds, so uh, apologies for the uh, <laughs> for, for any vocal qualities in this particular episode. We're going to do our best. <laughs> Enjoy the moist podcast. um so we kind of backed our way into doing this uh set of episodes Um, oh yeah i think epi i believe you proposed doing uh the other one and then i was like no let's do this first i don't know what led me to this one Mm -hmm. was it it's in season five, right? Because we've yeah, been kind of season five. trying to catch up on our season five uh, coverage. God, there was something about this one in particular. Maybe I just was like, let's do an IRS one, uh, audit one. Because hmm. that, that is very much something that I would do. But I noticed that it was uh, on IMDb, it was an hour and 14 minutes hmm. long. Right. So probably two episodes when it aired. And uh, and then you discovered that it was uh, related to something that happened in To Serve and Protect, another two. And so we thought, well, hell. Uh, we, we got ourselves a little series here. Yeah. So let's let's do this. Yeah. I recall The Man Who Saw the Alligator as one that I really liked, that I thought was really, like, emotionally interesting. Mm-hmm. So when you, So I remembered it when you proposed it. Yeah. That one hinges on a mobster a hitman who gets out of jail and looks for jim for revenge because jim's the one who put him in jail and then turns out that protect and serve is the story of their first encounter yes (laughs) so uh and we'll talk more about that one when we get to it uh it actually wasn't a two-parter it aired as an hour episode even though it was shot as an hour and a half episode still need to figure out exactly what the story is there but um interesting but uh we'll get to that next time here we're talking about to protect and serve which was a formal two-part episode from season three episodes 19 and 20 uh airing in uh mid uh 1977 um these are written by david chase and so these are really entries kind of into the greater chase verse yes because not only are these Centering on mobsters, as we know David Chase loves so much. I guess he's mentioned somewhere that the character that we're going to meet, uh, uh, Tony, uh, Anthony Baby, is a bit of a prototype for at least one of the Soprano characters. Right. And this actor ended up in a role on The Sopranos. So a lot of Chase, uh, uh, greater Chaseiverse connections through all this stuff. If, If I had not known that Chase had written this, I think... Uh, the moment somebody says the name Manette mm-hmm. and like you could hear the silverware drop, <laughs> I would have been like, oh, this is, yeah, yeah, definitely a David Chase. This one is directed by William Ward, who we have seen Yay. so many times, uh, most recently in Rosendahl and Gilda Stern Are Dead. I was just taking a look at his actual full list of credits. Uh, we are about a quarter of the way through his Rockford <laughs> uh, filmography, uh, counting two-parters as one episode. So we have a lot of him still to see. Not a lot about him on the internet. Directed a lot of episodes of The Rockford Files. <laughs> This is very much one continuous story uh, through the two episodes. So I think we will get right into it unless you have any other thoughts. Um, it's a good 
Becker story. It is a good Becker story. Uh, that is really the only thing I had to say going into it. I enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, we'll get into how and why all that fits together. But um, yeah. Well, to start us off, was there anything in particular that you enjoyed about the preview montage? <laughs> so, uh, well, yeah, I guess the fact that the preview montage lets us know it's a Becker story right off the bat. Not only does it let us know it's a Becker story, but it also lets us know that Dennis and Jim are going to be pitted against each other to some extent by external forces. Um, there's also plenty in this montage to let us know that there's danger ahead, like mm. barking dogs, death threats, <laughs> gunshots, some uh, tear gas, <laughs> and why we don't have any. Why don't we have any tear gas? Yeah, but um, that was the extent of it. I don't... I, it, it definitely whetted my appetite for the upcoming episode, but it didn't, I didn't feel like it told me even really yeah. anything about the episode. Hello, listeners. We really appreciate you being here, and we want to make sure that you know that you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. In addition to episode previews and access to the 200 a day Rockford Files file spreadsheet, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. 200 a day will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe-level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Likes Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you know you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Jay Adon. Check out his amazing miniature painting over at jayadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and finally, big thanks to detective patrons. Check them out on Twitter. Eric Antenor at Antenor, Brian Pereira at Thermoware, Bill Anderson at BillAnd88, and of course, Richard Haddam at Richard Haddam. We follow them too at 200pod. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it. And check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. Our episode starts with the sound of police sirens. Yeah, I was like, oh, we're going to get a chase right away. <laughs> no, it is not a chase. It is, in fact, an armed standoff. <laughs> Yeah, as you said, this is very much a Becker story, and we actually start just with Becker. He's coming up to this uh, this situation, which someone refers to as a typical L.A. Tuesday. Yes. There's a a guy who uh, is separated from his wife and uh, stormed this house and shot her boyfriend that she's with in the house and now has her and is armed with some kind of machine pistol, they say, mm -hmm. um, and is, you know, threatening uh, with some serious uh, threats of violence. Becker is the, I don't know, the ranking ranking officer on the scene, right? Yeah, it appears to be. So he tries to negotiate through this uh, megaphone, and the guy starts shooting at him, um, including shooting it right out of his hand. Yeah. <laughs> which is pretty uh, pretty scary. Uh, yeah, left a hole right in the, the megaphone. Um, I was going to say, in my notes, like, you can see my concerns. Just before that, I write, turn your blinker off because we can part of the foley is i think the car that they're uh hiding behind uh has its blinker on because mm -hmm. you can hear the blinker 
the whole time. And this scene doesn't have any score. It's all yeah. just like the natural Foley. Uh, so yeah, I noticed that too. Yeah, and I'm like, turn your blinker off. And then I'm like, holy <laughs> Dennis almost bit it, is what I wrote. Yeah. Well, and that clicking sound very much, it's almost, it's like a, it kind of keeps the tempo up, right? It's kind of yeah, like a heartbeat yeah. or something. Yeah. It lets you know what the tension is. We immediately get that scene from the preview montage where, where Becker wants to know why they don't have any tear gas. And then <laughs> uh, this uh, random, uh, as far as we know, woman uh, runs up kind of alongside one of the other cops and starts echoing Becker. And that she's right. the one who says, yeah, you know, why don't we have any tear gas? She'll be important. We'll get back to her. Uh, while another cop negotiates, Becker runs around kind of the side of the house. And then the guy storms out with his with his gun. Um, Becker's to his side, calls for him to drop. The guy draws on him and Becker mm-hmm. pulls the trigger of his own gun and uh, shoots this guy before he can get shot himself. The guy who I refer to in my notes as Die Hard. <laughs> with his, his undershirt and yeah. uh, bad attitude. Yes. Um that's that's kind of the resolution of the of the of the standoff right uh the other cops come you know kind of swarm up they're checking on becker and there's random passerby who are accumulating at the scene and this woman we learn in a couple scenes her name's leanne so Mm -hmm. so leanne starts shooing people away and it's like let the officers do their job like acting like she has some kind of authority and i think it's pretty clear from how she's framed that she's not i mean she doesn't have any she's not in uniform she doesn't have a badge or anything um but she's acting like she's part of the unit. I think it's legitimately confusing, like in a mm-hmm. good way. As longtime listeners of the podcast know, it's been a while since I've seen some of these and my memory is not the best. I vaguely recalled her, but I couldn't remember if uh, I could not. I, I was like, is she like a consultant or a boss and superior in some way? And I'm like, I don't think she is. But and that's good. Like that's yeah, we're, we're supposed to be like, what's going on here? The other thing I really like about this scene is that it treats what just happened uh, as a big deal. Yes. Yeah. And that's great. Because Becker is clearly shaken. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the other cops are like, come on, you know, come on, Dennis. Let's get back down to the station. We'll take it from there. Yeah. They're treating him kind of gently. I don't know if it's been established. I mean, I feel like by this point, we've probably seen him, you know, in some big climactic finale, take a right. shot at someone or shoot someone as part of the like, you know, getting the bad guys at the end. Um, but this is treated where this is not something that Becker does all the time. Right. It's not standard fare. Yeah, it's a pretty traumatic situation for him as well. Um, and so uh, Leanne, like, starts talking to him like she knows him mm-hmm. and tells him that it was beautiful, Den. <laughs> Yes. Like, so she's taking this as this big victory and everyone else is kind of like, all right, let's like clean this up. Like, this is not where any of us want to be. But um, she says that uh, she'll be a witness for his, you know, board of inquiry or whatever they call it. And he uses and she uses all this cop lingo like Salcedo. I was right over there in a position of advantage, had a clear eyeball of Becker and the suspect. You tell the shoe fly that I'll be willing to testify at the shooting review board. Somebody contact you in a couple of days. And she uses all this lingo in a way that none of the actual cops do. Right. We end the scene with her uh, getting back into her car where she has a police scanner that's on and that she's clearly listening to. Uh, And at this point now, I kind of get the idea. Nobody is completely dismissive of her, but she speaks with authority that nobody's responding to. Right. Yeah. We should talk about that this is the actress Mm -hmm. who is Joyce Van Patten. 
mm-hmm. the uh, I believe sister to Dick Van Patten. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. She so two things. When she came into the scene, I was like, oh, this is this one. I'd completely yeah. forgotten that she was also in this story. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the story with like Tony and the gangsters, which we'll yeah. get to. And then I remember the story with this woman, Leanne and the cops. Right. I completely forgot or just didn't, you know, it did not occur to me that they were in the same episode. And this is also one of my like really memorable, uh, emotionally charged characters. Yeah. Yeah. As we'll get to. Um, and then also the actress I recognize from, uh, I mean, she's been in lots of stuff, but she was on a couple of Columbo's. Um, uh, so yes. she was, uh, she was the, the murderer in, in an old fashioned murder, mm-hmm. uh, where she's the, in charge of a family, um, museum. And then she's like a gag comic relief character in, uh, in an episode where Columbo is trying to talk to someone at a, uh, like a, like a soup kitchen that's run by mm-hmm. like a religious organization. And she's a nun who mistakes Columbo for someone who needs their services and tries to take his coat. <laughs> it's good. Both of which are very different roles. Like, this character is completely different than her murderer character, which is kind of funny because yeah. she has the exact same haircut, but, uh, she's, uh, she has, a, she has a good, she has a good range, is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, her, her depiction, like, we'll get more into this character as we go along, but, like, uh, I don't think this is an easy character to do. No. Uh, it's a character that would be easy for us to hate, and instead there's, a lot of sympathy and it's both a credit to her and also to, well, everyone else. I mean, like, I, I think that, uh, the way that Dennis and Jimbo and, uh, <laughs> even Chapman deal with her is mm-hmm. really, really kind of interesting. Well, speaking of Jimbo, we go from mm-hmm. here to, uh, Jim, uh, pulling up to his trailer. Yeah. Someone's there, but no worries. It's just Rocky. Yeah. Sleep <laughs> on the couch. His TV was on the fritz. Uh, he didn't want to miss this game, so that's why he came over. Jim's been um, uh, working on a missing persons case. He's asks if Becker's given him a call because he asked Becker to run down a license plate for him. Rocky immediately starts digging into what this case is all about <laughs> as a concerned father. So this gets a little bit of, of our initial exposition out where uh, Jim's looking for a Patsy Fossler uh, on the uh behalf of her fiance, a Michael Kelly, um, who said that she, uh, uh, she ditched their, ditched their wedding and fled to LA from New York. Um, he hasn't been able to dig up anything past this license plate that some valet saw somewhere where she got picked up after she got to LA. There's a, a, there's a good exchange here where I think, uh, you know, Jim's like, why are you digging into my business? You know, my work is confidential. <laughs> and Rocky says, well, what's confidential between a father and son? <laughs> but of course, he also does not approve of this, uh, you know, this kind of dangerous stuff that Jim's getting himself into all the time. We're kind of just getting a little couple minute establishment of the Rocky Jim eternal dynamic. Yes. Uh, I, I really appreciate, uh, Whenever Rocky armchair PIs mm-hmm. <laughs> the stuff that's going on, uh, yeah, he tries to to run down the psychology of the uh, of Patsy. I bet you she's hiding from the law. And there's this back and forth. Uh, Jim offers a uh, alternative theory about the family. I can't remember what his thing is, but mm-hmm. I remember Rocky. Well, I wrote down Rocky said, "I wonder why families are always giving their offspring such a hard time." Mm-hmm. And Jim's look is is wonderful. It's priceless. Yeah, I wonder. 
he goes into his bedroom to the phone that's in there, which I think, again, we re- we recently remarked on. Yeah. How, uh, every so often, you know, says he takes his phone calls in the bedroom. Uh, but he gives the Beckers a call. Uh, Peggy is the one who picks up. Dennis is still at the station. He said he'd be late. He never says why. Um, and Jim says that he'll go and see if he can track him down. Peggy says to tell Dennis that he... He's missed a great pot roast and Mildred Pierce on TV. So I've not seen Mildred Pierce, but I am going to now. <laughs> it's good. It's a good movie. Apparently, it's it makes uh, Den cry. Mm-hmm. So it's a noir. Yeah. Okay. Nineteen forty-five. So we cut to a uh, a bar um, where Leanne is uh, talking Becker's ear off. <laughs> Still kind of full of all of this policeman slang. She really admired what he did today. Mm-hmm. And he is still, you know, pretty shaken up, pretty down. Uh, says that he's not celebrating, right? It's not something to celebrate. While she's trying to kind of talk him up and tell him what a great job he did. Yeah, she's she's clearly wired. This is a bit of excitement that she probably doesn't encounter. Right. For her hobby, it's, you know, finding that Mickey Mantle baseball card right. or whatever. Like, it's a very... Very different experience that Dennis is going through. I really dig, again, how Dennis is concerned about this guy that he shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, this guy is not a good guy and was putting lives in danger. And, and Dennis did what needed to be done in the situation. But also, it's great that Dennis isn't just like, it's all good. Yeah. I wasn't sure how subtle this was supposed to be. And then over the course of the next of the episode, I think it's not supposed to be subtle. But uh, Leanne has has a crush on Becker, right? Oh, yeah. And yes. so she's kind of hitting on him a little bit, including inviting him back to her place where they can really celebrate she has some 12-year-old scotch that she got as a present from a friend in Narc. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he does not seem to be raring to jump uh, towards that offer. It's no mystery to me. I think she definitely has a thing for Dennis. The, the mystery for me is whether Dennis knows that she does. Yeah. Like, is he just, like, trying to let her down easy? Or is he just oblivious to the fact that she's... Uh, trying to get between him and Peggy. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Jim shows up. Becker introduces Leanne and Jim. Leanne tries to place him as a cop, like, Rockford, Rockford. Oh, you work over in this precinct. He's like, yeah. no. And then when he says that he's a PI, she seems offended. Yeah. Oh, it's great. This is a great little couple sentences that I think establishes everything we need to know about this triangle, these three characters, right? Yeah. Jim immediately starts on Dennis, like, hey, what about that plate I asked you to run me? I really, it's the only lead I have. It's really important. Dennis is like, hey, why are you on my back all the time? Yeah. You know, I'm not your personal police favor runner. Leanne comes to Dennis's defense and says, you know, you don't understand what kind of day he had. He was, he did this great heroic thing, taking down this perp and blah, 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 blah. And once Jim understands that Dennis had that happen today, he immediately is like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. What can I do? How are you feeling? Yeah, it's great. Oh, it's wonderful. He just didn't know, right? Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful because they, they, everything they're able to illustrate, they bring Rockford up to, to date with it, but it also, you know, like we talk about dialogue doing more than one thing. It mm-hmm. also puts 
part of what's going on with Rockford in front of Leanne, which is right. important for later on. Yeah. I just, I love when they do scenes like this that let the characters sing rather than kind of betray them and make them do the thing that's needed for the story. Mm-hmm. Like, this is definitely a thing where both Dennis and Jim are behaving how you would expect Dennis and Jim to behave in this sort of stressful situation, which is great. Um, Dennis uh, says that he should, he should head home uh, to his wife. Um, mm-hmm. Leanne clearly does not think he should. <laughs> yes. He's like, no, stay here have another drink or whatever. And Jim's like, all right. He, he says that he thinks he hears something wrong with his car. So <laughs> he's going to take off. And, and of course it's important that by now Leanne has started calling Jim Jimbo. Right. She calls Dennis Den. As yeah. soon as Dennis calls Jim Jimbo, she starts calling him Jimbo. Uh, we go back to the trailer where, uh, we have a couple of goons pulling up in a, in a goon car. It's a goon mobile. So this is the introduction of, uh, Anthony Boy of Tony and his buddy Sill. Tony is tall and, and big and wearing a big, like, tan trench coat. Uh, Sill is shorter and wider and balding with a full it's not a mullet because it goes all the way out to the sides, but he's yeah. <laughs> bald on top and then just has a full, like, pompadoured back. Yes. Uh, these two are chef kiss. Yeah. They want to talk to Rockford. Tony says that he's Sergeant Johnson from the New York City Police. They're trying to find Patsy Fossler. Um, they've come all the way out here as a special favor because her, uh, her family's very influential. Jim, he, so he flashes a badge and then Jim asks him for the badge number. Without yeah. looking. Yeah. At that point, they all know what the deal is. Jim goes for his gun in the cookie jar, and so gut punches him before he can get to it. <laughs> and we get a really meaty brawl. Yes. It's not long, but uh, Syl manages to get control of Jim's arms. And then Tony kind of, you know, threatens him, wants to know what he knows. Jim doesn't know anything. He very deliberately puts on brass knuckles and jim's like oh no <laughs> yeah <laughs> he manages to break out of sill's hold by pushing him back into the cabinets that are behind him and they kind of brawl into the into the bedroom but not before jim kicks tony in the knee which turns out was the greatest decision <laughs> yes so the camera stays in like the main room we Tony goes down, we see them go into the back room, we hear a punch, and we see Jim stumble across the open door and fall. <laughs> Sill comes out, and apparently uh, Tony has a plate in his knee, and Jim kicked it out of place. Uh, yeah, I... <sighs> Imagine writing this scene, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got these these two goons that are throughout the scene presenting themselves as sort of a superior physical threat. Especially when he gets the brass knuckles out, uh, it, it's definitely this thing that's like, okay, Jim's out of his element. He's he's in his own trailer, but he's not like he's not in charge here. And this reversal of having uh, clearly there had been some surgery done or something. Uh, yeah, there's a plate. Uh, in, in Anthony Boy's leg. And that kick and the way it changes everything about the scene for Anthony Boy. <laughs> Cause he's like, he doesn't care about Jim. 
He doesn't care about what their job is. Right. He's in pain. He's upset with his partner for not stopping everything and helping him. You know, like, we got to find a hospital. We got to, like... Yeah, he needs to see an orthopedist. Oh, I love it. Because it is... It's that kind of injury that, like, it feels very real to the audience. There, <laughs> so there's several moments in these two episodes where people just get turned off by punches, right? Like, they're, they're knocked out. <laughs> which is, like, TV shorthand for we don't know what to do next or whatever. Mm -hmm. Not to dismiss those. I mean, those are just staples of the genre. That's fine. But I love this so much more (laughs) than that Mm because it's like you feel it. You're like, oh, God damn it. Like you don't, I don't like Anthony Mm -hmm. Boyd, but I've, I've had knee problems. Like I've had (laughs) knee pain. I'm, I know what that feels like. I'm, I want out of that situation. It seems understandable when he's like, screw this. This is more important. And he says, we know where Rockford is. Yeah. Like we can deal with this later. Right. (laughs) I'm in pain. And that's great. And the other thing it does is it's, this doesn't specifically get called back, but I think this gives us the groundwork for why things get personal. Yes. Well, uh, Jim does wake up uh, in the morning just as there's a knock on his door, his favorite time to wake <laughs> up from getting his lights punched out uh, by a goon. And uh, it's Leanne. <laughs> there's stuff on the floor, like there's a, like the phone and like a broken ashtray and stuff. She, she asks, uh, was there a crime here that should be reported? <laughs> Jim has no time for this, of course. Wants to know why she's there. And she wants to talk to Jimbo about a great guy, your friend and mine. And I love that she uses that phrase. <laughs> Because as yes. as we know on on this show, he's our good friend Dennis Becker. Yes, uh, but your friend and mine, Dennis Becker. Um, this is before the kind of episodes that are about Dennis going for lieutenant. But right. this also like this lives in that universe, right? This is part of yeah, how yeah. why this show feels like it has this kind of continuous character narrative. You know, Den's been busting his buns to make lieutenant, and he will too. But if he gets caught doing you freebies. Using department facilities, it's going to be like a giant black eye for the guy. Hey, hey. You know, I do favors for him, too. I mean, uh, we happen to be friends, you know? Jimbo, then do this sweet, marvelous guy that favor and stop asking him to compromise himself and the department for you. Jim, uh, I think appropriately so, is kind of like, why are you bothering me with this? Yes. I mean, he doesn't like her. He doesn't need her coming around and telling him how to run his business. And he has a pounding headache. He has a, he has a great line where he's like, you know, I'm really falling in love with today. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And her motivation at this point here is all Dennis right now. Yeah. She, she just thinks she's, she's going to make Dennis's life easier by having a little talk with Jim. And we kind of see, again, this builds through the episode, but we see how she, she's centering herself in something that has nothing to do with her. Yeah. Because she gets to feel like she's important, I guess. Yes. Like it gives her the thrill of like, I'm someone who matters here. Yeah. And this is a very minor version of it, but, uh, it continues. At this point, I just had to like remind myself at this point, she's not on any case. Right. She is just trying to make Dennis's life better after after the shooting or, you know, for whatever reason. But yeah. Uh, the scene ends with Jim getting a phone call from Michael Kelly. Uh, 
he wants to talk and he gives just a little tidbit that uh, um, he moved out of his hotel to this other address. And so we cut to this big fancy mansion in Bel Air where uh, Jim is arriving to talk to Mr. Kelly. Um, The shot where we see the Firebird pull into the driveway in the foreground is a car with two guys in it. And in my notes, I go, we see two goons. Cops? Question mark. (laughs) <laughs> the way that they're sitting in that car, I'm like, are those guys cops? Turns out, yes, they are cops. <laughs> yeah, good Rockford instincts. <laughs> I can tell a goon from a cop from a in a split second. Kelly wants to know, you know, what Jim's progress is, which so far is pretty much nothing. I think it's important that uh, we know that Kelly is a villain because <laughs> we're having a poolside conversation. Mm-hmm. This is... <laughs> Also part of the Rockford Files shorthand. He's also wearing a robe. This character is played by an actor named John Cipher, which is a great name. Oh, it's a great name. And I just clicked on just to check him out real quick. And the first thing I see is (gasps) that he was in the Masters of the Universe movie. He's (laughs) man-at-arms. That's awesome. (laughs) Yes, he is. And now... With a mustache. The picture on his IMDb page is not from that movie, but has a mustache. And I'm like, I know that guy. And I totally don't recognize him from the episode. No, totally different without the mustache. Yeah. Uh, It looks like he ended up on, on Dynasty also. And Hill Street Blues. Hmm. People might know him. Might know him. I did not. Not slanding. Oh, a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. This guy's had a career. Anyway, he's real slimy here. Yes, he's great. Uh, so yeah, he's wearing his robe. Does not accept that Jim is having trouble with this. They have a great exchange. Oh, don't let this fool you. That's how I was brought up. We Kellys put on a show of bravery at all costs. We Rockfords take people who con us and feed them their tennis shoes. Yes. Jim wants to know what's really going on as uh, there's these uh, two cloves of garlic are also looking for Patsy. (laughs) Oh, Jim. Kelly basically reiterates like, no, this is she's my fiance. She left. I want to find her and convinces Jim that 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 is the story. Like he's like, that's actually what happened. He's like, yeah, but it's imperative that he find her by the time he gets on a plane back to New York tomorrow, which gives him just about 24 hours. So Jim tries to quit, right. tells him he owes him 500 bucks plus expenses. Kelly won't let him quit. He has 24 hours before he has to be on this flight. And if Jim doesn't uh, continue on the case, then he is going to have to kill him. Jim kind of laughs it off, but then Kelly calls in his buddy Dorsey, <laughs> uh, one of our more uh, long-haired goons with the curly locks. And a gun in yeah. his side holster. Nice high-waisted pants. Yep. You know, and, and so in the face of this direct threat, Jim agrees to stay on the case. But now he's on a clock. He's like, well, what's another 24 hours in a whole lifetime? <laughs> <laughs> we go to uh, Chapman, our, our favorite. Oh, yeah. Lieutenant Chapman. It's a good Chapman episode, This is too. a good Chapman episode. Uh, talking to Becker and kind of starting off on a pretty positive foot, saying, uh, you know, once once he's cleared with, like, the inquiry board or whatever, they'll get him back out soon. You know, everyone can see that the, the shooting was justified. It shouldn't be a problem. Uh, but by the way, how's your buddy Rockford? Yeah. <laughs> out of curiosity. Becker says that uh, he stopped doing favors for him. He, he knows that's not okay with the department and uh, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah, I guess there was. He did ask me to run one play, but I didn't do it. Right. I would never do it. So Chapman 
closes the door in a, not threatening, but in a uh, ominous manner. Yeah. So apparently he got a call from intelligence, whatever that means, um, internal affairs maybe, uh, but uh, that uh, Michael Kelly, an attorney from New York, has been kind of like flagged by the New York Police Department. uh, And so they told L.A. that he was coming out there. And he's he's white hot. And the first thing he does once he's out here is he contacts Rockford. <laughs> Becker, yeah, admits that he he was asked to run some plates, but he didn't do it. And then Chapman says, well, go ahead and help him out this one time. Yeah. So he wants Becker to get info about Kelly from Jim. And Becker says, Jim has a code. <laughs> he's not just going to tell me stuff. And uh, this is when Chapman hits him with the line from the preview montage about how he's going to have to choose between his friend and the department. And so we end that with a quick view of of Becker pulling the info from the plate out of the uh, printer and then giving Jim a call. I, I do like that that he makes at least stands up for Jim's code a little bit there. I think he already knows how this is going to go down. Yeah, yeah. You're telling me to do this. I'll try, but I promise you, I will <laughs> like I yeah. will not get anything. So we go to uh, one of the more uncomfortable barbecues uh at the <laughs> becker becker residence i feel like meals at the beckers yeah. never <laughs> never go well they're in the backyard becker's putting some uh putting some shish kebabs on the grill they've busted out the six dollar wine yeah um there's a little bit of like peggy and jim catching up which is really sweet and yeah uh, just because we did that uh the movie so recently, uh, Peggy says that uh, Scott's running for president of the sixth grade. <laughs> He's running on an anti-corruption platform in government. Isn't that cute? Just mm. like, ah, oh, Scott, oh. don't know what's in store. <laughs> I'd say this quickly turns as Becker very inelegantly oh. tries to ask Jim for information about that plate that he was asked to run. I love how bad he is at this. Like, normally that sort of stuff is a little cringy. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't want them to be good at it, you want them to be good at it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't want the... Uh, I, I didn't write down the exact line, but there's just this moment where he clearly... He had a question. Does he say something like, would this have anything to do with uh, with this guy, Michael, like, with someone named Kelly or something like that? He made a statement and said, oh, I was just asking a question. Or just, like, very clearly in his head about it and yeah. just can't do it. Just can't. And what's great is that Peggy is the one who calls him on it. Yeah, like... What's wrong with you? Why are you being so weird? Yeah. Uh, Jim says, uh, you're as nervous as a third place runner up in a Miss America contest. <laughs> Becker can't do it. So he spills. Right. <laughs> like, oh, he just comes clean. That's yeah. great. Perfect. Uh, I can't do this. Chapman told me to, you know, get information from you about this plate. Uh, and Jim says that you're a police officer. I'm not going to implicate myself in something before I know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> Which is totally fair. And he's tired of the LAPD interfering in his life every time he turns around. Your policewoman friend showed up at the qu- crack of dawn. <laughs> what? Yeah. So Peggy is interested in this. Just what is a buff? Buff? Well, well, it's a citizen who is uh, fascinated by police work. Like, you know... People are into CB radios and Broadway shows. These people are buffs, as we call them. They like to spend time around a station house, get to know the fellas, sort of uh, hang out. Dennis, that's not a buff. That's a groupie. Yep. And then uh, wants to know why he had to unwind at the bar with a groupie instead of at his house. 
in the den with the nice liquor with his wife. Legitimate question. Mm -hmm. This argument quickly turns from Jim and Becker arguing to Peggy and Becker. Jim fades into the background and then tries to defuse the tension by uh, picking up a a tea towel and going, boy, this salad really looks good. (laughs) In the proud tradition of, uh, boy, this broccoli sure is good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they both look at him and we cut the scene there. I don't think Dennis is in like super trouble, but uh, one of the fun acrobatics of this scene is the way the pressures shift around. Mm-hmm. Chapman isn't there, uh, but it is Chapman's orders that Dennis is, is acting on. Uh, so there's that pressure there. He's trying to get some information from Jimbo. It's not going to work. So he confesses what he's doing to Jimbo. Jimbo's upset uh, that the, the police are on his back about this and, and blah, blah, blah. He's not getting any help from a friend. He's been invited over to what was supposed to be a friendly meal. And and it is clearly that was not the right thing. <laughs> and then instead of that being like this fight that escalates, what happens is... Leanne comes up and then it becomes this thing where Peggy is like, wait a minute, Dennis, what are you talking about? What's going on? And then instead of Jim continuing to be angry about what's going on is put into the position of being the peacemaker, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a more dynamic scene than if it had just ended with all of them shouting at each other. Mm -hmm. Um, so we go from there to this board uh, where Leanne's giving her statement and she just gives all these details and the people there clearly just want her to get to the, yeah. just get to the point um, specifically to clarify that Becker told the guy to flatten before he shot. Yeah. That that was the order of events. That's kind of, what they want to make sure is clear. So they have to kind of hurry her up through all these irrelevant details. And again, codes and lingo and all this stuff. And you just, it's like five guys and they're just rolling their eyes at this woman. Um, she puts in uh, a good word for Becker as good people. Um, and then is excused. Becker goes in uh, for his own interview. Leanne just kind of like hangs out in the hallway. So she overhears Chapman checking in with Billings uh, this is just kind of getting everyone in that, in this, in this area, because it's yeah. kind of about what Leanne does and hears. So she tells Billings that, oh yeah, they might want more of my testimony, so I'm going to hang around until they call me <laughs> back in, which is just a straight up lie. Yeah, I'm still important. We get a quick moment where the panel si- uh, uh, calls the incident, uh, what I find a really terrifying term, a good shooting. Yes. And so Dennis is okay, right? Leanne then kind of follows and overhears as Chapman talks to Becker about whether he got anything from Jim. And he says, Jim didn't give anything up. I I told you he wouldn't say anything. Uh, Chapman wants him to keep trying. He has two guys staked out around the clock on Kelly. It'd save a lot of time and money if Becker could just, you know, cut to the chase with Jim. Leanne overhears all of this, so... I guess we see her hearing bits and pieces, but she doesn't have the full picture, right? Yeah, yeah. In my notes here, this is when I realize Leanne's familiar to me for two reasons. Number one, I I had watched this episode a long time ago. But number two, uh, she is so Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that it's just it's 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 kind of stunning uh and it's you just feel her like need to get involved and like yeah. i'm gonna fix everyone's life it's like i'm gonna find out what's going on i'm gonna be useful and i'm, I'm gonna be dennis's hero yeah right we go to uh tony and sill hanging out in their hotel room oh <gasps> 
What do they call this, a pizza? It ain't so bad, Tony. Ain't so bad? How can you say that? You've been eating New York pizza all your life. You can make a statement like that? Back in sheep said bet they'd throw up on crust like this. Look at it. It's all cheese. Where's the tomato sauce, huh? This ain't a pizza. It's a grilled cheese sandwich. California. Tony hates L.A., hates everything yeah. about California. Uh, they get a call from, from Brooklyn. Uh, someone got the name of Patsy's boyfriend from someone, and so they have this ranch uh, that she they think she's hiding out at. And Tony hates the sound of it, like just the name of the ranch. But they head out, and we see that he's still favoring that knee, right, that he yeah. had uh, the injury. And now we get to... <laughs> Let us see interactions of our some of our least sympathetic characters <laughs> at that uh, at that same bar. Doug is there. We'll call him Doug, not Chapman, because Leanne sidles her way up to him. Oh yeah, introduces herself and immediately starts calling him Doug. Uh, says she's a friend of Becker's. Uh, they go back a long a long time, but you know he's a soft touch and she's a she's a shoulder that he cries on. Right. Um, <laughs> take this Michael Kelly thing. So she's using the. Kind of in a Rockford-esque move, right? She's using a couple little details that she overheard to try and pry herself into a situation. There's a few moments in these two episodes where she makes some Rockford-esque con attempts. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're not quite as aptly handled uh, (laughs) as as Rockford would handle them. Mm -hmm. And this is is one of them, I think. uh, But... Doug, as we'll call him, mm-hmm. uh, is in a spot where he, he'll welcome anything right now at this moment. So he's going to listen. Whatever's going on with this Michael Kelly guy, it's a big deal. And he's in charge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a really interesting dynamic, though, because it's like she's trying to get into his good graces. Yes. And he's trying to find out if she actually knows anything without telling her, without letting her in. Yeah. So it's this really interesting kind of back and forth. Uh, she uses the, 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 I don't know if it's the claim. Uh, I guess it's because she saw them together. But she says, you know, she says that Becker didn't even try to get info from Jim about this Michael right. Kelly thing. Maybe he's going soft. She's she's trying to trade up, I think. She's trying to trade up. She's kind of like, yeah. oh, this guy's a lieutenant. Because when he's first introduced, she's like, oh, lieutenant. Right? Yeah, yeah. But she says that she found out from Jim, because this is, I think, what Jim told Becker when she was at the table or whatever. It doesn't really matter. She... She overheard this, um, that Kelly is looking for someone and Jim got brought in for this missing persons thing. And Chapman didn't know that. So that is yeah. new information for him. Um, and uh, that's something that, you know, Becker didn't tell him. I don't think Becker knows because Jim didn't tell him. Right. 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 So Chapman gets that little piece of information and then she tries to invite him back to her place to discuss yes. it more. And he's like, uh, no, thank you. Uh, I have a dinner engagement. He leaves and the bartender calls Leanne on it. Yeah. You're never going to get to him or something like that. And she's just so impressed with how how, how Doug sacrifices his personal needs and wants for the department. <laughs> My God, I respect that. Yeah. I do like how Doug, Dougie, if you will, <laughs> sets boundaries. Because he does, <laughs> how does he, I don't remember how he words it, but like, she can't, she should not be doing any investigating. Right. She's like, as like, a civilian, you should not. Oh, because she, she says, I can work on this thing from my end. Yeah. And he's like, what's your end? You shouldn't be involved. Yeah. He's, he's pretty stern about it, but she's also winking mm-hmm. when he's doing it. And he doesn't, he's not paying close enough attention to be like, right. That's this, this moment here. Right. Mm-hmm. I think so. 
And I think this is where we really see that Leanne has a personal reality field, right? Yeah. Everything that comes into her world, she judos into being the yeah. most positive interpretation for her needs. It doesn't mm. seem to be necessarily on purpose. No, it's, yeah, she's, she's almost incapable of seeing that the, that she's wrong. We, uh, I skipped earlier. It was just a brief scene where Jim did follow up the plate and went out to this ranch. So it was establishing that there was a ranch and the dog there barked at him and, you know, he ran away before um, mm-hmm. he could get attacked by the dog. Uh, so that's the ranch that now, uh, Tony and Syl know that they're going to. So now we go to that ranch. Uh, Jim arrives. He's holding like a clipboard or something and he has a quick, just a quick line. To get past the dog, which is, I'm here for a property inspection. Can you call off your dog? But as soon as uh, the woman in the house comes out to get rid of said dog, um, he calls her Patsy. She reacts to the name and he grabs her arm. So that's right. That's all he needed. All he wants is some answers. Uh, you know, Michael Kelly is looking for her. He wants to know why. And she confirms that, yes, she was his fiance. And she left. And she doesn't know why. And she doesn't want to go back. She doesn't yeah. want anything to do with him. Just wants to be left alone. So he wants to know, why are these two goons after me? And then they, as if summoned, show up. Uh, Jim sees them arrive. And they uh, run off through this ranch. And so we get a little chase sequence. Um, Jim and Patsy run into the horse, the barn. Stable. Stable, thank you. Uh, Tony is limping uh, still. He tells yes. the chicken to shut up, <laughs> which is quite <laughs> funny. Um, I have to I have to know if that line was improvised. <laughs> it would have been a whole lot of effort to try and wrangle a chicken yeah. to have that scene. I, I just, I'm just going to assume it was, and, mm-hmm. and they're like, that's brilliant. Keep that in. So Jim waits until Tony is kind of like, he's clearly uncomfortable around all these animals, right? Mm-hmm. So he waits till Tony's kind of poking his head out into like an, like a little, a, a different space. Then he startles the horses. So the horses yes. all kind of crowd out and push Tony out of the barn. And then Jim locks the door so Tony can't get back in. And then he's just, all these horses are, are surrounding him. And then they uh, get back to the Firebird. Uh, Sill, uh, who has a shotgun, is not quick enough to, to get to them. He fires after them, but uh, thanks to a quick J-turn, Jim... Gets out of uh, firing range pretty quickly. And then we see that Tony is panicking in there with all the horses and still sighs <laughs> and runs back to, to help out his, his partner. So we've, this is the second time now that that Sill has had to turn away from Rockford yeah. to help uh, Anthony Boy out. The two things, the two notes I had on this scene was number one, like the horse gambit uh, feels very maverick. Yeah. I wonder if there was like, uh, yeah, how many times in Maverick did that yeah. scene happen? Um, but it was great. And then the other one is Syl comes out with the shotgun and there's a moment, uh, Jim and Patsy are given a moment by a passing van. Mm-hmm. In my head, I was just thinking about like the story from the point of view of the people in that van. <laughs> Cause there's, this seems like it's just a country road. And mm-hmm. then suddenly there's this guy running out with a shotgun. I guess it also helps that the van is reminiscent of the kind of van you would see like at the beginning of Texas Chainsaw Massacre or something <laughs> like that. Like this is, you know, LA shotgun massacre or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, those, those are my notes. They got get away clean. Thanks to the fact that Tony boy here <laughs> doesn't like horses. Yeah. Just constantly needs Sills help. Yeah. 
In the car, uh, we finally get a little bit of conversation with the subject of all of this yes. uh, craziness, uh, Patsy. Um, she recognized those guys. That's uh, Tony. They call him Anthony Boy. <laughs> he works for Joseph Minette. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, we've talked before about all these gangster names. I believe that Minette specifically came up in one of the movies. And we were trying to figure out if that was had been used in a show before. Yeah, not just one show. We're getting the whole continuity here. The goons work for Minette and Michael is Minette's attorney. Mm-hmm. She says that's one reason she left. She couldn't take those people. And Jim lets out the most world-weary, oh boy... <laughs> <laughs> Once he learns that uh, the Minettes are involved. Yeah. We cut back to Leanne at work. She works at a bowling alley. Um, and a couple's trying to get bowling shoes, but someone someone touched her, her scanner. It was on the wrong channel. So she has to turn it back. And then she's listening and she's trying to listen for if anything happened in Bel Air. I don't know if we're supposed to notice whatever actually came over the scanner. I was trying to figure that out, too. Like, if they would mention anything that we had just witnessed or anything like that. Um, But Leanne's clearly listening to that and not paying attention to these customers. And then tells her, you know, another worker comes up and she's like, "Uh, can you take care of this? I have that stomach flu again. Mm -hmm. And she just bails. (laughs) So whatever she heard on the scanner, work, not important. Yeah. Jim and Patsy are in a park. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jim apparently has gotten a little container of jello from the yeah <laughs> concession stand what's up with that so jim's poking at his jello while uh she is taking a couple of bites out of a sandwich um and they they discuss patsy says that she doesn't know anything she doesn't know why uh anyone would want to kill her uh but jim says that as long as anthony boy thinks that jim can lead them to her they're going to keep coming after him so yeah. You know, he needs to figure out what the deal is. She says that uh, Michael would tell her things and they'd laugh at how, like, crude and, like, mm-hmm. and, and, like, weird the Minettes were. Like, they're all animals. They all, you know, do all these weird things. Um, but specifically, he was working on Minette's jury tampering trial when she left. And he did mention that uh, two of the witnesses had had fatal accidents. And Jim's yeah. like, oh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Minette probably had your place bugged, knows that Michael told you that, and now you're a liability. Uh, her arc is kind of one of, like, trying to pretend like everything is okay until she finally admits that it's not, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't see the end of that until the next episode. So here she's still kind of like, this doesn't make sense. Right. I'm not a liability to anyone, uh, but Jim thinks he's figured out what the... You know, what the pressure here is. And we end the scene with her saying that, uh, fine, I, so I didn't leave right away, but I did leave. Yeah. And he, uh, validates that, right? He's like, yeah, you did. Like, clearly this was not a situation you should be in. Yeah. And it is important that you left. It just, it's not going to help. Just because you left doesn't solve the things, but you did leave. And that is, you know, good on you for doing that. Um, so we go from that little moment of pause to Syl and Tony uh, in a car <laughs> at night, apparently heading back out to Paradise Cove. Syl's asking, how much time are we going to spend sitting on Rockford to find out where Mikey is? And Tony clearly is taking this very personally now. Mm-hmm. I'm have my day with Rockford. Now, that's not a smart hedge. It's not what we're getting paid for. You remember Nativa Dad? The bookie from South Bronx? You remember what I did to him? <laughs> yeah. You hit him in the head with a ball peen hammer till he died. 
Oh my god. And they laugh and laugh. To be continued. So, two things about that scene. Number one, uh, there's that moment in the beginning of that scene where Sill is, like, uh, doing the stereotypical Californian thing of talking about the directions oh, yeah. freeways. And Anthony Boy's like, I don't want nothing about freeways. Don't talk to me about freeways. <laughs> this is, again, more of how Anthony hates mm-hmm. L.A. Uh, and then the other one is that the mirror of how so many Rockford File episodes end on Jimbo's <laughs> smile uh-huh. after something funny has happened. And here we get Sill's smile uh, after he's reminded <laughs> of how Anthony Boy beat a man to death with a hammer. Yeah. Right. It's, like, like, <laughs> it's very ominous. And yes, to be continued. Happy... I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the Information Superhighway. I'll be right back. One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games... Maybe you want to check out digathousandholes.com, where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet? In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling, pro-wrestling role-playing game, among many others. You can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com and of course you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta looks like you're back you you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there epi i'm back i have my dm42 with me and i'm ready to get in dig down into rockford's books again Mm. all right well i'm done with this delicious avocado taco well let's get back to the show then this is incredible you know, last night I had one of my dreams. I dreamed that if I called you, you wouldn't be home. And you're not. We roll right into part two mm-hmm. of To Protect and Serve, which gets its own preview montage. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so this is what I have written down. Leanne is beat up. Mm-hmm. Leanne's a liability. Death is on the line. <laughs> the way I read Michael in the situation, if he gets you back, he'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Which I think is uh, pretty much sets it all up. Yeah. The question about this is that we're obviously, for me, it has been roughly 24 hours since I've seen the previous episode. <laughs> uh, and I thought to myself, watching this preview montage, if I had been watching this when it aired, what effect would it have? Uh, and I, I think specifically because in a moment we're going to get the uh, previously on montage, mm-hmm. which brings us all up to speed, even if we haven't seen it yet or or, or what have you. But uh, I was just trying to like think about, you know, is the purpose of this montage just to do what it always does? Just like, here's a little bit of action from the upcoming episode. Mm-hmm. Or was it supposed to like catch me and say, hey, remember Leanne? <laughs> it's interesting because it kind of like, it would be more dramatic if they did the previously on and, de- and then did this montage. Mm-hmm. Because like, if you don't know who Leanne is, 
Right. Uh, but yeah, I think it's kind of a, well, this is how our show is structured. So yeah, death is on the line, I think is the important takeaway. Mm. And yeah, it goes from that into the montage of scenes from the last episode. It doesn't have the James Garner. This is James Garner and previously on the Rockford Files. Um, it just goes right into it. But also, unlike some of the other two-parters, it doesn't montage through the final scene and then keep rolling. Yeah. And it actually cuts the montage a little bit out of order from how it was. Because I watched these pretty much straight through. So was, I noticed. Um, but the, uh, the catch you up montage ends with a freeze frame on Tony trying to get away from the horses. Right. <laughs> which I think is really interesting. It's kind of like telegraphing Tony more than anything else. Yeah. There was a couple other things in the montage that had like what Leanne knows. Mm-hmm. Not. So now you, viewer, are caught up. It's, remember this moment, this moment that seems like kind of a throwaway moment? It's going to be important this episode. Yeah. Well, after that freeze frame, uh, we have the credits uh, playing over the Firebird at night, pulling up to a boat. And we get one of, I feel like, of things we've done recently, one of the most memorable side characters. Yeah. Jim's buddy from jail, Wes Wesley, <laughs> uh, has this fishing boat and... Uh, is willing to put up Patsy for a couple days while Jim gets things figured out. Now, the, his name is Wes Wesley. Uh, could be that Wes is short for Wesley, <laughs> but I think they just named him that because the name that they would have used for him was already taken by the actor that plays him, <laughs> Lou Frizzell. It's, mm-hmm. oh, it's just the perfect name for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, man, he played a character named Dusty Rhodes on Bonanza. Oh. Worlds colliding. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a real character. This this Wes Wesley, he apparently owes Jim for something, and so is happy to do this kind of favor for him. Something they did in the stir together. The plan is uh, so apparently Patsy has a brother who lives in London, and so Jim is going to try and get in touch with him and get money to replace her passport and fly her to London, and mm-hmm. that should get her out of harm's way, right? So. While he figures out, you know, how to get things set for himself. His way to get out of this is to convince the thugs that he delivered her to Michael and then making it Michael's problem. Um, so if he can do that and get her out of the country, then everyone should be fine. Uh, he does give her some cash. I did not get in a good look at how much, but it was multiple bills. <sighs> So her theme is that, you know, she was Michael and the Manettes, right? Like paid for everything, mm-hmm. right? They paid for her to go. She was going to grad school. They lived in a fancy apartment in Manhattan. She had fancy clothes, all this stuff. So now she's, uh, she's, she, she's reduced to taking money from someone, right? Right. Uh, and she's like, maybe if I just go back, it'll be fine. And right. Jim's like, I think it's too late. Uh, if I know anything about the Minettes, uh, mm-hmm. since Michael made this mess, he would have to prove himself back to them by killing you himself. <laughs> just going back is not going to make it go away. We, uh, then get a extensive Leanne the Snoop, <laughs> not montage, but series, uh, as she snoops around over the next couple of scenes. Um, she's at that Bel Air place. Uh, she climbs over a fence. She pull starts pulling documents out of a trash can. Um, and then uh, she sees uh, Rockford come there to talk to Michael Kelly. So she eavesdrops on this conversation. Uh, Michael lets Jim in. Uh, there's like a housekeeper there and he orders a slice of melon and one egg scrambled firm for his breakfast. 
Jim describes Tony and Syl to Michael, tells him that they grabbed Patsy before he could get to her. Mm-hmm. And uh, wants to know who they were. And then it starts cutting back and forth. I was going to say, this is also the scene where we catch a glimpse of another woman. Yeah. Uh, Leanne takes a one of the documents that the camera shows us is this note that's like, Michael, I remember how much you love caviar or something. And it's signed yeah. someone's, some woman's name. And then we get a glimpse of a door, of a woman closing a door when Jim comes into the house. And this is kind of a setup for a little later beat um, for Patsy. Yeah. We start going back and forth between Leanne leaving, going to Jim's car, snooping around in his glove compartment, and then popping his trunk and hiding in it yes. with Jim talking to Michael. Jim says that if uh, if he was lying to Michael about this, he would have just skipped town. He can be hard to find. He's telling him the truth. Um, Michael's not satisfied, and his goon goes to jump Jim from behind, but he is ready, and he turns oh, and punches yeah. the guy out, and he goes sprawling through a wooden table, and good old Fists of Stone Jim Rockford um, <laughs> has his day. Lays him out right there and there. Right then and there. And he has his gun. Mm-hmm. He tells Michael that it's in the hands of the police now, and it's also... Payday. <laughs> Michael owes him $600 for three days of work, plus 400 for expenses and aggravation. Yeah. And no, he will not take a personal check. <laughs> I was expecting something to happen, but no. No, he gets paid. Yeah. <laughs> My notes, I've got like big ex- or big question marks after that, but it seems uh, in the end he got paid for this, so that's great. He leaves with his cool, cool grand for this uh, project mm-hmm. um, as uh, Leanne is, is hiding in his trunk. And then we end the scene with Michael telling uh, the housekeeper, uh, don't take any calls for him. Say that he moved. Pack his things. He's getting a flight out of there. So he's clearly panicked by the story and also the idea that the police are now going to get involved, right? Mm-hmm. Jim goes to Rockies to start making his phone calls to London, which <laughs> I guess he can afford with his uh, all that cash. Yeah. I like how Rocky is eating his own full breakfast while Jim is on the phone. He has <laughs> eggs and pancakes and bacon and everything. Coffee. Mm. During this, we cut back and forth as Leanne cannot pop the trunk and is stuck in the firebird. There's a little bit again of, of Rocky being worried about Jim and saying he would just go to the police and Jim telling him it's not that simple. Uh, but London finally calls back and Jim does talk to Patsy's brother, John, who says that, uh, uh, yeah, I know she was living with him. He worked for the ACLU, right? Womp womp. There's a great line that Jim says, Mr. Fossler, if your liquor cabinet is handy, I suggest you pour yourself a drink. (laughs) (laughs) This scene is kind of like, oh, Jim's plan is working. (laughs) All the things he wanted to do are happening. Uh, Leanne manages to finally pop the lock just as Jim gets back in the car. And so she can't get out and is still stuck in the Firebird as Jim drives back to the pier where the boat is. Um, We have an establishing shot of Patsy cooking something i think she's frying potatoes yeah i was trying to figure that out too uh because she seems to turn her nose up at fish which is what you would expect on the Mm -hmm. the boat but yeah uh wes uh greets jim is not happy with how patsy's been treating him you know she's stuck up she's putting on (laughs) airs uh but then there's a little gag where jim starts starts sniffing smells like rotting lilacs you wearing cologne. It ain't cologne, it's aftershave. You combed your hair. <laughs> You're wearing a clean shirt. <laughs> I'm 
get off my back. <laughs> uh, Wes is, he's putting on a good act, but, uh, clearly he's, he feels a little taken, uh, with this, uh, pretty young thing on his boat. Uh, not in a creepy way, to my yeah. read. It's a bit of a gag. The only creepy thing about him, uh, because he, he, he definitely, uh, shows up for her later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only creepy thing about him is that she refers to him as a sadist or saddest uh, mm-hmm. because he hit his own cat. Mm. Uh, and that's it. And I was like, oh, come on, Wes, be better than that. Don't kick your cat around. Mm, yeah. uh, but um, and we do get to meet the cat a little bit later. Flo, I believe. And the cat's fine. Yeah, the cat's fine. Uh, yeah, and I think this is actually giving a little bit of character motivation for something that Wes does later. Like the fact that he's kind of taken with her. Yeah. Leanne finally gets out of the trunk and kind of snoops around to where she can overhear Jim talking to Patsy. He got in touch with her brother. Things are getting set with the money. Everything's kind of going according to plan. Um, he's pretty sure that Michael did leave he was gone from the mansion when he went back to check later that day and then he gives the address and patsy recognizes it and is like oh knows the woman's name you know it's one of michael's old girlfriends so i think that sets in for her that him coming out there wasn't about her right like wasn't about getting her back wasn't about an emotional connection to her was about finding her for this punishment. And that's when she finally acknowledges that that part of her life is over, really. Right. She was she has this line about how she was just always kind of expecting him to to come back to her or to mm-hmm. make like some big overture or whatever and she didn't realize it. Yeah. Like if he came after her to get her back for the wedding, that yeah. is kind of what she was expecting. And then uh, uh I think this is uh Jim has the line from the preview montage for this episode about about how if she went back to him, he would kill her because yeah. Leanne is taking notes and writes kill in giant letters. Yes. And like and underlines double it. underline in her notebook. Wait, before we go on, we should probably talk about the fact that Jim bought her food in the end of the previous episode when he ate mm. his jello. Yes. And now did. she's offered him a taste of the food that she's been cooking. You should so try, try a bite of this. They're Rockford married now, right? I think so. I think that, <laughs> that indicates their courtship. Yes. Yes. I think this scene, we also see them having some chemistry. Yeah. As she's kind of acknowledging that Michael's not going to come for her and offers him a bite of whatever she's making. And he acts a little more, I don't know, nice. <laughs> yeah, he isn't like, you're you're an imposition. He's more like, are you doing all right? We follow Leanne as she gets a lift home, apparently. Leanne's on the case. So she goes into her bedroom, turns on the police scanner, first thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her bed's covered in newspapers. And then she puts in a phone call. She's trying to get through to to Doug directly, Mm -hmm. but he's not there. So... She's getting directed to, like, the general switchboard or whatever. We're going to get this uh, three-peat of her trying to call Doug and getting this other officer who's on duty who gets increasingly annoyed with her. Um, So her thing is that she wants to talk to Doug. She doesn't want to talk to anyone else because it's kind of personal. It's kind of a case that we're working on together. Yes. Now, oh, I'm a friend of his. Can you give me his home number? And this is another one of those Rockford-esque cons that does not work for her. Yes. Right? Because the guy's like, well, if you're a friend, you should already have his number. Well, my my phone, my address book was stolen out of my car. 
Like, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, he's heard it all before, you get the sense. Yeah. So once it becomes clear that she's not going to worm it out of him, uh, she does leave a message uh, just to say that she has information on MK, and Mm -hmm. there might be a hit going down. He's like, are you sure you don't want to talk to someone else about this? (laughs) Yeah, like... And he's like, no. All right. All right. And so I, I guess this is kind of where we really see the, like selfish damaging edge to her at worst she's annoying in the previous episode and this episode she gets more proactive and she's withholding information that is going to cause harm and is also going to cause people to to uh yell at her later in this episode right, right? like this is this is uh, this is her downfall this mm-hmm. is her hubris right right she wants to be important so much that she's withholding stuff that any kind of reasonable observer, right, is like, just tell the guy what what you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not uh, it's not clear why. Well, it's not, okay, it's not that it's unclear. Um, it's a little unclear what exactly she thinks is going on. I think because she's been right. taking notes and overhearing things, and I don't think we necessarily, as audience need to know exactly what she thinks is happening. Right. Because she can think Rockford's responsible for all this yeah. or, you know, or whatever. Or something. Yeah. I guess the main thing is that like what's unclear is whether or not she feels that whether or not she knows that she doesn't have this personal relationship with Doug. Right. Does she think she's doing the right thing or is she making a conscious choice to try and get closer with Doug? Right. I think it's up in the air on purpose yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Part of the question with, I think, how she portrays these interactions is, is she lying to herself or does she mm-hmm. know exactly what she's doing? And you don't really, you know, like it could go either way. Uh, yeah. One way makes her a little more selfish than the other way. Like one mm-hmm. way is more sad and the other is more like damaged. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Wes's cat. We get to meet the cat oh, in yes. our next scene uh, where Patsy is giving giving the cat a little air out on deck. And she's talking to Jim here. And this is where we see more of the chemistry bloom. Um, yes. Talks about how important walking the dog was in Manhattan. Uh, very important where you walk the dog and what you're reading while you walk the dog and what you wear while you walk the dog. This whole discussion is great and, and sort of plays into the world that she's in. That obviously Jim isn't a part of. But when she first said it's more important to have a dog in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. I was like, what the living? (laughs) I mean, a lot of people in New York have dogs. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it would be so much easier to just have a cat. Right. Well, the the point is that it's a status symbol, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm so rich and important, I can have the most difficult animal to have in Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah. The dog's name was Psyche. Yes. Probably the worst name I've ever heard for a dog, uh, as Jim says. And then they transition into, she, she talks about how it was also phony. Um, yeah. And we get a, a strong classic Jim angle on uh, how Jim feels about how you need to present yourself to the world. Yes. It kind of reminded me of the uh, way, way back, I think maybe at, maybe at the end of The Countess. Where Jim has the little soliloquy about everyone being artificial. You have to be a little artificial, a little plastic, like something like that. All the world's a stage. Yeah. So Jim has a little story about how when he went into prison, he decided the best way to handle himself would be to to impress everyone by being the baddest dude, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I figured if I was going to survive, I'd have to impress everybody. So what happened? 
I turned into a jerk. <laughs> and then that other thing happened. You see, they, uh, they put a badder guy in C-block with me, and he had me for breakfast. So do we know that guy? Uh, <laughs> I mean, is it the hammer of C-Block? Is this a reference to, to Gandhi? Yeah. Considering how much universe building we've been seeing here, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and say yes. Uh, season two. So this is definitely after Gandhi. Mm-hmm. I think it is. I'll, I'll read that as a reference to Gandhi being the baddest dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so, so Jim's presenting this idea that just because you take a role, take a, you know, pose in a certain way because of your circumstances doesn't make you a bad person. Right. It's more about like why you're doing it, um, which is very Jim. <laughs> he ends by saying that she's taken enough lumps without beating herself up about everything that happened. And she finally says, uh, realizes that she never said thank you for everything he's done. So there's a lot of, uh, validating each other's. <laughs> experience in this short time yeah. that they've known each other. Uh, I dig this whole scene. It, it's interesting because like, I, I think especially with two parters and the longer episodes, you kind of wonder or expect some filler. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how it was with you, but I remember getting to the end of the first episode and thinking to myself, how do they fit an entire Rockford Files episode right. into 45 minutes? Because that one felt like, oh, that time just went by. That one felt like it was almost done. I think I looked at the second one with an eye of wondering if things would be more fillery or whatever. And I, it, it, they found a different angle to go with it. Yeah. This is a different part. They start this episode off with Rockford telling you straight up what his plan is. And uh, the rest is just kind of watching to see if that's going to unfold Allowing these characters to take another step Mm -hmm. in whatever their relationship is or whatever uh, is happening. Looking back through my notes, like, I don't think any of these scenes are filler. Yeah. There's a couple that could be gone. So, and we would just assume that they got from A to B without seeing the intermediary step. Yeah. Um, But those little steps are in there since they have the time. Uh, Like Jim going out to the ranch and getting chased away by the dog. Like, that scene didn't need, we, I mean, I basically skipped it when we, in the first part. But it was there to establish that Jim knew there was a dog and that what the ranch was and that kind of stuff. So this this scene's important both just because it's a it's a good scene to see them, you know, develop their their chemistry and their relationship. But also without this scene, the last scene that they're in together would feel like it came out of nowhere. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of coming out of nowhere, um, while Sybil and Tony are still staking out Jim's trailer, Leanne uh, des- decides to roll up there, breaks in easily. Uh, she had a throwaway line earlier where she says, you should get a better lock. This is a high robbery area. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so she easily gets through his lock and she starts looking through his desk. And we have maybe the most ominous scene. Oh, yeah. Tony and Syl come into the trailer. She tries to, like, play them and they know exactly what's going on. Yeah. Maybe not exactly, but enough, right? Like, the, yeah. Yeah. She claims that she's Jim's executive assistant and she's been out of town, but yeah. she knows this Michael Kelly thing is going on. Maybe they can fill her in since she only had one phone call. They're having none of it. Um, so Tony finally comes up to her and grabs her by the lapels and gets right in her face and starts yeah. yelling at her. Tell us where the girl is. Tell us what you know. And we finally see her. I, 
have an honest reaction, I think. Yeah. Which is terror, which makes sense. Um, and she pretty much immediately tells him where this boat is. She sings like a beautiful songbird. She does. It, they're in Oxnard. Oxnard! Yes. <laughs> She's giving them all sorts of helpful advice on how to find them. Yeah. Uh, because she doesn't know precisely where they are. And again, this is, this isn't just a moment where you see somebody being a coward and suddenly like kissing up. She's following her character, which is, I'm important and I know hmm. how things work. So yeah. I'm going to tell you, like, it's the wrong people to tell. <laughs> yeah. But she's going to do it. In the beginning of this, I think it's just before they go in, we have a preview of Sopranos dialogue <laughs> where they talk about how this is supposed to be like a, in out big boom operation mm. and i was like oh okay i can yeah here we go this is the birthplace of the sopranos the scene ends with uh tony uh yeah. smacking her ac- across the face she falls back into the chair and they they leave it's pretty rough um they are not good people no jim arrives uh as Leanne is coming out of his trailer with the big bruise on her cheek. It's the scene oh. from the preview montage. Maybe before we get into this, I don't know why I I didn't think they asked this before, but Michael Kelly is afraid of these two, right? Yeah, because they're Manette's guys, and Michael Kelly is trying to solve the problem before they have to, or something like that. I, I that's what it seems like. Yeah. All right. I just because he's about he's has fallen out of the story now. Yeah, he's gone. Part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that he knows that these two are trying to do something and he just needs to be elsewhere. Yeah, it's between that and that and that Jim said that he told the cops about it. Yeah. So All between right. those two pressures, he pieced out. They had the line earlier about, like, finding Mikey. Yeah. So he's, like, hiding from them. As well. As yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, you get the feeling that maybe they're, they're out there to shut both of them up, but the girl's mm-hmm. more important. Yeah, so... We then come to the uh, Leanne coming out with the bruise on her cheek. Uh, Jim wants to know what happened. Um, she doesn't want to tell him and tries to fob him off with something. And he says, what is it with you? <laughs> what is it with you, lady? Are you some kind of banana? <laughs> like, why are you fighting me on this? Yeah, yeah. She is. She is some sort of banana. He keeps pressuring her and she finally says like, you know, fine. Yes, I told him. I told him about the boat. They threatened to rape me. And so yeah. I told them everything. She's trying to show Jim that they, that like... She didn't have to go that far. She didn't have to make that claim, right? Yeah. But she does, again, this is following the character, it's kind of like, they went to this extreme and no reasonable person would have... Right. ...would have resisted when it's kind of like, you didn't hold out that, like, you did not hold back information to that extreme. Uh, Kind of, again, she has her own reality field. Mm -hmm. This is how I want you to see me. Right, Um, right. Which is a terrible thing to think or to project, but it makes sense with her... How she's been written, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's only been about 20 minutes. Uh, so, you know, Jim's like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Goes into full hero mode. I'm going to go see if I can stop them. You go to the restaurant and call the cops. Yes. She's like, why don't you Why don't you do that if you're such a hero? She still doesn't want to help Jim, right? Right. She still views, views Jim as like on the other side, I think. I think there's probably, I might be reading something into here, but I think there's probably a little bit here about, uh, it's probably galling to her that Jim is right. Yeah. That he's in charge 
of the situation and she isn't because she's the one who's friends with cops. And also that she's being pushed into doing something for someone else and not because she wants to. Yeah. He tells her to pretend it's a 888 or something and call it in. <laughs> so she, she goes over to the restaurant. He peels out and we have this uh, intercut sequence. Well, before we move on to that, I sorry to keep interrupting, but there's an important thing I need to point out here. This is the first time I think I have seen the wall behind Jim's desk. <laughs> there's something about the camera angles inside the trailer. Generally speaking, the cameraman is over by that wall. Over the shoulder of whoever's sitting yeah. behind the desk. And apropos to our Plus Expenses episode, mm. it turns out that over Jim's desk, he just has a bunch of pictures of like schooners. <laughs> he likes boats. This is I did not know this about him at all. So I just wanted to point that out. We now get into this intercut sequence uh, where Leanne goes to oh, the God. phone at the bar. We see her being thoughtful. Uh, she tries to call Chapman directly again, gets the same officer at the robbery and homicide desk. <laughs> Uh, still won't tell him what's going on. She she asks if he gave Doug the message, and uh, Chapman has not called in for his messages, so no. Mm -hmm. She hangs up the phone and goes to the bar. Uh, we see Jim speeding down the highway. We then see Tony coming out of a, a building that says Oxnard Tour and Recreation Information. Uh, he has a map. Finally, Tony's getting into the local culture. Uh, Leanne has multiple drinks. Mm -hmm. You know, this is effective, right? It's like, it's like time is ticking, you know, yeah. and we're just watching her sipping down these drinks. It's really interesting. Is she trying to talk herself into doing the right thing? Is she stiffening her resolve? I mean, he did. So the yeah. officer did say that, like, Lieutenant Chapman should be back in about half an hour. So is she, like, killing time? I was trying to figure that out, too, because she's she doesn't kill a lot of time. And maybe that's just it. Maybe she is trying to kill time, but she's finding that difficult to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, because she's plagued by what's happening. Well, she's she's caught between being the important person who gets the cops in yeah. with only talking, only being important for the lieutenant and not anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I'm not going to say it's out of character. I just don't know. I can't get inside her head in this Right. Moment. Yeah. Like, it's like, it could be lots of things. Yeah. Well, she has a couple drinks and makes another call. And uh, Doug still isn't there, but Becker sits down at his desk, which is across from the, the officer's desk. Uh, Mazursky or Mazursky, something like that? yeah. And so that cop is like, I think he says that it's Leanne. Yeah. That that kook Leanne or something like that. <laughs> and Becker's like, I'll, I'll talk to her because yeah. they have a relationship. So he takes the call and uh, she still only wants to talk to Doug. And Becker's like, you can talk to me. <laughs> if his department's business, it's my business. And she says that... She doesn't think she should because she's put her faith in the wrong man. Oh, yeah. Uh, her, I guess the fact that Becker has Jim as a friend or like kept information from Doug the way that she sees it. Yeah. Has like betrayed her trust in him. And she's yeah. totally transferred her whatever feelings she had about Dennis to Chapman. And she specifically says this should be Doug's collar. Like I yeah. want him to have the prestige of this. Yeah. Not you. She has this line where she's like, I thought you were an all day police officer and an all night man. Yeah. Is that a sex thing? <laughs> Because <laughs> it could be. I think in some ways she's moving on to Doug. And so 
like she's trying to have a breakup with Dennis here. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't know. Like, I can't tell if her fantasy life has gone so far as to assume she's had any more of a relationship <laughs> than she actually has had with I, Dennis. I kind of read that in the moment as like, like trustworthy, like an all day right. cop. And then like, like could trust you all day as, as a cop and trust you all night as a man or something like that. I don't know if that's a common turn of phrase or not. Yeah. I don't know. But, uh, I think, uh, Dennis clearly see, like sees, hears that some, this is actually important. And is like, look, Leanne, I'm done messing around. If you're withholding information about a felony, yeah. you know, he can come after her for that. Like, just tell me what's going on. So he kind of pushes past her reluctance, I guess. Mm-hmm. And then we cut from that to Leanne in her car, slow zoom on her face as she's listening to the police scanner. Yeah. And then she takes off herself. And oh boy. Uh, I really dig how Dennis handled her. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I meant, remarked on this a little bit earlier, but there's this, uh, everyone involved in this is playing these sort of delicate mm-hmm. things. Like he's both trying not to really yell at her I mean, he, he ends up having to, but mm-hmm. like, he's trying to be sympathetic with her, but also understands the urgency and then of the thing, you know, right. You know, he's like, you should get a trace on this call. Oh, right. Um, yeah. He, cause he has the other guy do it. Yeah. Everyone is walking a tightrope in this episode. Yeah. And all of the actors are doing such a great job of walking that tightrope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it would be so easy for any of the, the, to just go a little broader in a certain direction and just be done with it. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's everything has got kind of a nuance to it. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we get to our big climactic face off. Uh, I think I'll just hit the, the high points here because this, mm-hmm. this does have a lot of time. And I think because there is time to fill. Yeah. It's a slightly repetitious, but for the, dra- like, dramatically so. Yeah, it's got good tension throughout. Like, yeah. it holds. If this was compressed into one episode, this there'd only be half of the things in this scene, yeah. right? Yeah. But the high points, uh, Jim gets to the boat right after Tony and Syl do. Um, Syl takes a shot at him so he can't get on the boat. Uh, he yells um, to alert Wes and Patsy. So mm-hmm. downstairs, Patsy hides in a, in a in a room and Wes like opens a hatch. And then when Tony goes down there, tells him that she went out the hatch. Rockford yells that the cops are coming as, as Wes glances and we see a butcher knife on the floor next to him like on a net Uh, tony sees that and just shoots him in the leg (laughs) tony is brutal he threatens to to kill wes and that gets patsy to come out of the room she was hiding in because she doesn't want wes to die (laughs) for her right yes so that kind of pays that off a little bit and then we have the sill tony tension because Sill's like, Rockford's right, we can't get out of here, the cops are coming, we have to go now. And Tony's like, no, I'm not going. <laughs> We're not done here yet. So Tony holds Patsy hostage, and we have the standoff, the cops show up, Becker shows up, uh, Leanne pulls up behind everyone. Um, and so we have the standoff of all the cops and Jim and our two hitmen with Patsy as a 
hostage. Um, Jim says that he doesn't want anyone hurt, but they're never going to be in a better position than they are now. Uh, Dennis is saying, we have procedures. It's not that he's gunshot. Like, it's not that he's, like, so traumatized from when he had to shoot that guy at the beginning of the first episode that he, like, yeah. can't handle the situation. But he is saying, we have a method for doing this. We are going to follow that method, and that will avoid a shootout here, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is... Give them what they want. Give them the car and we'll have sharpshooters along the road as they try to leave. Um, this is when Leanne pops in and starts quoting chapter and verse of the handbook to Dennis. Like, in this situation, <laughs> this paragraph specifically says blah, blah, blah. And he's like, get her out of here. Yes. Uh, very declaratively uh, has another cop hustle her out of this out of the scene so that he can do his dang job. Dennis is the ranking officer in the situation, just like at the beginning mm. of the last episode. Yeah. Uh, but where at the beginning of the last episode, they seem to be following his commands. Although there, there is like a little bit where the tactical team might've been moving in before he was ready, which is why he ran mm-hmm. uh, to that one spot. But uh, that aside, I, I can't remember exactly what, what it was, but like, here, you've got the cops who are going to listen to, to Dennis, and then you have Jimbo, who's always a thorn <laughs> in Genesis. And right. then you add Leanne on top of it, and it's just like, god damn it. Yeah. Too many chefs. Too many cooks. Uh, as we come back to Dennis and him, you know, telling one of the officers to, like, let him have the car. Uh, yeah. In my notes, I say, Jim has done a fade. <laughs> Jim is <laughs> gone. He is not there anymore. I was like, where's Rockford? Tony and Syl and Patsy slowly walk towards the car. And the camera kind of pans back from them and reveals Jim has climbed a big pile of, like, boxes and nets and is over them. Yeah. And then as they pass under, he jumps on all three of them to knock them all down. The way they do the cut is, I think, he's jumped so that he's grabbed Patsy and rolls away with her. Right. Yeah. So uh, Tony comes up with the gun, cops fire, Tony goes down, and Syl surrenders. Syl's like, I'll be back in a couple seasons. Don't you worry. (laughs) We'll get to this in a second. Yeah. So uh, we wrap this up with uh, Wes going into the ambulance. Um, He's going to be okay, but he and Jim are even now. They're all settled up. (laughs) (laughs) He seems to be happy that everyone's okay. Yeah. Kind of a bit of a, like, small small price to pay. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Uh, Leanne goes up to Chapman to tell him what a great job Becker did. <laughs> I think it was quite a caller. And Chapman tells her to go home. Yeah. And she seems a little confused. And he has this just the most cutting line. I mean, Chapman's full of cutting lines. And, he, yeah. you know, we know that he's a jerk. But he says, uh, the police don't have many friends these days. So we take whatever comes our way. And that's our mistake. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And uh, I have a note that like Leanne, she just wants to be part of it. And I don't remember if that was from a line or if that's just how we see that she's she's scurrying from person to person trying right. to be like in the conversation about how everything went down. Yeah. Because there's this bit here. Dennis is going to lay into her. Right. Yeah. And the question I have about that is as audience members, He's saying what we want said to her. Right. Like, at this point, we're like, okay, somebody's got to sit this this woman down and, like, have a heart-to-heart about what she's done wrong. And I guess uh, my question is, is Dennis... Is, is Dennis the right person for that? Well, it's not that Dennis is the wrong person. It's that, like... We've, we're privy to more than any single other character in this mm-hmm. episode, right? We want this. 
But does any character in the episode want this, or do they just want her to, like, uh, thanks, well done, Leanne, we'll talk to you later. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that, that Dennis comes off as harsh, although he is harsh with her. Yeah. I think it's uh, earned from the audience's point of view. My question is, is it earned from Dennis's point of view? Mm -hmm. Well, it does seem slightly harsh just because Dennis is usually not such a plain speaker. Y yeah. I don't know. The sense that I got was that Becker gives her more slack than other cops do. Yeah. Which is why she's so attached to him. And this all came to a head with her... He's a soft touch, right? Yeah, he's a soft touch. <laughs> uh, refusing to tell him what was going on. Mm -hmm. If you can't... E it's almost like a weird, like, inverse, like, Rita situation. It's like, yeah. if you can't even use the fact that you've taken advantage of me for so long to help me out on this... He's lost it with her. Like, yeah. there's no longer any reason for him to be nice to her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't strike me as that weird, but I kind of, I see what you're saying about how, like, as an maybe because as an audience member, it's like, yes, this, this has to be said. <laughs> Dan, what's what happening? Else? You're asking me what's happening? You don't know? God, you're a liar. Somebody got killed because you didn't call the station fast enough. As it was, another man got shot in the leg. And it might not have happened if we had gotten here sooner. Well, Doug had been on that case. See, I just wanted to do what was best for everyone. Leanne, you're lying again to me and to yourself. You don't hate crime. You don't hate criminals. You hate people. You hate life. You hate your own life so much that you pretend that all that like this is your life is kind of what that seemed to mean to mm -hmm. me you want to avoid your real life so badly that you make this your life when it's not yes yes and so she has this moment where she just looks absolutely devastated but then we keep with her as we see her shake it off and then yeah. smile like okay like everything's fine yeah it's good. It's good. I'm just going to forget that that ever happened is what I read from that transition. Yeah. So we go to our near finale. We get our <laughs> emotional payoff here uh, where Jim is walking on the beach with Patsy before she goes off to London. They have a bit of uh, uh, bonding over Wes. Uh, he says that once he heals up, he's going to come after her. And Patsy says that the man's a total sexist and a dinosaur. And he's beautiful. Yeah. You know, he has a good heart, right? Um, she asks if Jim will ever come to London, maybe. Uh, and she kind of spins out this whole, like, fantasy about when she's established in London, she'll come back, maybe New York, maybe L.A. Yeah. She's heard that Oregon is nice. She could hide out up there and Jim can join her. And Yeah. yeah. And Jim, uh, you know, gently, not harshly, is basically like... You're in a bad place. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you have a lot going on. Once you're out of danger, you'll find your own place. Don't force it. Right. Let it, let it happen naturally. It'll take time. Maybe your place will be here. Who knows? Uh, and they uh, share a sweet kiss on the beach. Then we end this with a shot of an airplane flying away. So, two things. One, there's this great line about... Like, when do you have to be at the airport? And she's like, less than an hour before the flight. I guess the airport is pretty crowded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that changes. <laughs> uh, and then the other is, my note in here is like, oh, they're taking their sweet time with this ending. That's interesting. Again, thinking maybe they have you know, a little filler or whatever. And then I write, oh, no, 
it's sad because <laughs> right so this is actually a really great transition so we yeah. the camera we're like from the ground watch it's like stock footage watching a, a, a plane fly away and then it kind of fades into the la skyline and like mm. lights coming on at night and then that fades into or cuts to leanne lying in bed in the dark listening to the police scanner with just this <sighs> look of just sadness just like uh. just like a look of just total like defeat on her face and then we fade to black on her face listening to the police (laughs) scanner oh that's good gut punch Uh, those were uh, great episodes I thought Um, yeah really good I was just looking at the IMDB reviews um, which are good. Uh, mm-hmm. One little piece of trivia. Apparently, uh, Officer Mazursky is mm-hmm. that actor is Noah Beery's son. Oh, wow. He had bit bit parts in the show, but this is like the one where Buckland Beery. Yeah. This is the one where he had lines. That's great. Uh, so that's nice. Um, also, I don't know if this is addressed in The Man Who Saw the Alligators, but Tony is the one who comes back. Oh, it's Tony, not Syl. Oh, okay. Because in here, there's the line of one, you know, one man is dead. Oh, this is an exciting mystery. So we'll find out if they address that or if it's just like, we wanted to bring this character back. So uh, I guess he wasn't really dead. It's fine. Wow. I'm looking forward to that then. So it makes sense that it's Tony because Tony is clearly angry with Rock. Yeah, like, Tony's the one who has the grudge. I feel like, oh, Sill's listed in the credits for it, too. I think he's back. Like, Sill's still around. Yeah, okay. So I think, like, he gets his old partner back, basically. Unless yeah. I'm totally misremembering, which is possible. But the actor, like, the, it's the same role. Yeah, and everybody has his last name in these credits. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this next episode. <laughs> Um, it makes sense because he, he, from the moment when he gets kicked in the knee throughout, you can see him frustrated and upset with Rockford mm. and making it personal. At the end, during the, the whole, uh, standoff, he's like, yeah, he calls him Beach Boy or something like that. Mm. And, and he's like, he's, he definitely doesn't like that Rockford is this, this, uh, fly in his ointment, if right. you will. He's taking it personal. So this this whole story, it's the story of kind of like the it's, it's the story of three broken people, <laughs> and one gets better, one gets worse, and one yeah. we just learn how broken she is by the end. I don't know if she changes. We see we see Patsy come to terms with what's happening to her, and we end right. on a positive note where we feel like she's going to get better. Yeah. Um. Tony, he's a hired killer. That's not a great start, but then he gets this obsession with Rockford and it drives him to make even more suboptimal choices than yes. he maybe otherwise would. So, and then we're going to see, you know, see that all come back with a vengeance. Um, yeah. And then Leanne is just like, it's a real character study of someone who's just like, so I don't know how else to put it. Just so deeply broken. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's a real, it's a real testament to Joyce Van Patten that, that she's compelling and yes. not she, a joke. She could very easily be a joke. She could very easily be just an annoying character. Uh, and this is something, it's it definitely a testament to her, but also to the Rockford Files in general. They know how to take a character personality that, you know, like it's, it's a thing about Jim Rockford that people he attracts certain people like angel (laughs) you know or or gandy or people that won't listen to his reason and he gets exasperated with them Mm -hmm. and that's easy 
to make annoying. Uh, but I think the Rockford Files, they tend to do it in a way that gives sympathy for these characters, but also like where you actually want to see how they, they interact with the, uh, Jim. Like, I loved the scene with Jim and Leanne at his trailer. Mm-hmm. He comes home and a strange woman has, is in his trailer. And his first concern is, is she all right? Mm-hmm. Not, she broke into my trailer. <laughs> you know, well, like. And then his, his frustration comes from how she won't, won't let him help her. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's where he really gets frustrated with her. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's good stuff. It's, uh, it's kind of low key. It's an interesting mix because it's like, it's not an episode where Jim is kind of secondary. Like, he's important. <laughs> right. Uh, but he also is the, he's the eye of the storm, right? Like, these other right. characters are swirling around him and he's the one just kind of doing his job and he's actually very straightforward. It could have been a backdoor pilot for Becker and the buff. You you think that everything is a backdoor pilot. I know. Uh, yeah, but it's almost more of a Becker story uh, Yeah, in that way. But it doesn't feel like it's not a Rockford Files episode. And it doesn't feel like Jim is secondary to the other yeah. characters. It's a really, really well-balanced piece with all these new characters, old characters, plot points. Maybe in a way that like it kind of had to be two parts. But you know what I mean? Like, Plot-wise, this could have been a one-episode a one episode story, but I think you'd have to cut Leanne, right? Yeah, yeah. And Leanne fits it, even though, like, her tale intersects with this one only because uh, her interactions with Dennis, right? Like, it's not a weird coincidence thing. The only slightly forced bit, I I hesitate to characterize it this way, but is uh, Chapman putting Mm -hmm. pressure on Dennis about Michael Kelly. Mm -hmm. And even then... There's some bit about it that makes sense. Like Michael Kelly right. is a person of interest to New York mob. And so. And he even spells out to, to Dennis later that like we could save a lot of money by not having the stakeout going on. If yeah. we just knew what he was, why he was here. Right. Like he has this like very departmental character motivation um, there. Uh, yeah. It's good. The only, the only thing that I thought that was kind of like slightly narratively convenient, but I think it's more that it's a dramatic, I don't know if it's pathos. It's so the, the fact that Dennis comes to, to the desk the third time that Leanne is called. Yeah. Like in one way, it's a little bit like, well, if Dennis had never sat down, that the whole thing never would have happened. But yeah. it is dramatically necessary yes. for the story, for the character stories to complete, for Dennis yeah. to take that call, right? Um, so it's not like narratively convenient in the way that sometimes we, I meant, I, I notice it's, it's more the like, this is the dramatic outcome that we've been waiting for. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and it's even with the third time she calls, right? Like rule three's thing. Like it's very yeah. constructed to be like, here's the moment, here's a big beat. And then that takes us into our finale. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was surprised by how good this one is just cause I hadn't remembered. <laughs> <laughs> this is one where really breaking it down made me appreciate it more. Um, yes. Yeah. That doesn't always happen, but this is definitely when you start looking at the craft of this one, mm-hmm. you start thinking, Oh, Wait a minute. This is this is thought out. Yeah, this it's is... really satisfying. Yeah. Plus we have the extra we have the extra 
excitement of seeing where it goes in that follow-up episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like three years later, so who knows? All right. Uh, I think we have lauded this enough. Uh, do you have yeah. anything else before we sign off of uh, To Protect and Serve? I just wanted to know what uh, 187... That is a uh, homicide code, if I remember oh. correctly. And I only yes. know that because for a while, when I was regularly playing Magic the Gathering, one of the slang terms for a creature that you could play to destroy another creature was mm. a 187. Ah, makes sense. Because <laughs> it was murdering the other creature. <laughs> yeah, she kept mentioning 187, so I was like, I should look that up. Yep, uh, wonderful episode. Well, Rockford made his cool grand. Yes, congrats. Uh, so congratulations to Jim. Enjoyed some jello and maybe potato on the way. We'll take our $200 for this day, um, but we will be back, as promised, with the next episode of the Anthony Boy story. Yes. That will be our next episode of The Rockford Files. Bye-bye. 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 B